Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome into the StoryCraft Cafe. Pull up a chair, find your favorite beverage, and let's talk cozy mysteries today. Joining me in this episode is Tanya Kappas, who is a predominantly indie author, but also publishes uh, traditional uh, the traditional route. But Tanya has published, you know, roughly a hundred unique books, and then a bunch more, you know, collections and and things like that. And we talk all about her writing career, how she got started coming to the writing game late. So, you know, if you are one of those people that are worried that you've waited too long, Tanya's story is one that will definitely resonate with you because I know it resonates with me. We had a great conversation, so much fun. Thank you to Tanya for joining us. And no matter what genre you are wanting to write in, I hope that you'll take something from Tanya's story and integrate it into your creative life. Join us over at storycraft.cafe. And as always, thanks to Dabble for making this show possible. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. Today, Tanya Kappas joins us to talk cozy mysteries, um, the writing life, being an authorpreneur. Um, you know, Tanya, I heard... Um, Last night when you did your live, you you were so gracious to to plug, um, you know that we were doing this today, and uh, you know I had I have to just kind of set a title of what I think we might talk about, you know. But as we were just saying before we started, we don't really know, you know, what the conversation is going to be. So I just gave it a title, you know. I've heard you say uh, before talking about being an authorpreneur, and I said you know, that's, that's as good a title as any. So welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Hank. I was thrilled to, to uh, get your message, asked me if I'd be on here. So I was talking to another Southerner and just <laughs> hanging in here, shooting the breeze with each other. I love right, that. Right. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with you, um, I, I, you know, I, I know it's hard to keep when you release as often as you do, kind of keeping all the bios updated with how many books you have published. I think Amazon now lists you with 191 releases. And I know a few of those are box sets where you, you know, bundled several releases together. So how many books, how many unique books have you published now? And, uh, you know, it's somewhere sitting around 90 something, 100 maybe. I don't know. You know, my kids have got a countdown and they're all adult oh. males. I have four adult male children. And so they're like, when we get 200 unique books, we're throwing a party. And I'm like, OK, so they're the ones I should have asked that question to. But somewhere between 90 and 100, I haven't, uh, you know, really kept up that closely with it. That is, Isn't that, that terrible? Is, that is crazy. Um, 
I heard you say um, a while back that that you didn't really become a reader until your 30s, um, which is odd because you're like 28. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that you were time travel, obviously. <laughs> um, but how did you make the jump from becoming a reader? And you can tell the story about how you really became a reader if you want to. But there's there's a there's becoming a reader and then there's you know i have a story to tell and then i'm going to become an author kind of walk us through that progression okay so i wasn't a reader and i was 33 you know i was in my mid 30s i'm in my 50s now and so i was a single mom and i was a child therapist and i loved my life but i didn't realize when i got divorced that you know, you, you, it, it's interesting. You don't realize that it, it affects not just you, but your children, right? And right. I didn't even think about my kids being gone on the weekend to their fathers every other weekend. And I found myself in this really dark place. And I was not um, used to being a depressed person. I didn't know what that was. I, it just looked funny to me. And I just couldn't get myself up. And like I said, at the time, I was actually in um, school getting my master's for child therapy. And I was a um, actually I was a principal of a private local school here um, in my town. And. So I had met a group of younger girls that were also getting their masters and they're like, oh, we have this book club. You should come. And I'm like, I can't even, I hate reading. I did not read growing up. You know, I grew up in um, rural Kentucky and there were so many more things to do other than read. <laughs> it's so outside, you know, play with all the critters and stuff. And uh, I just didn't have any interest in reading. And as a matter of fact, I carry around a report card that if I would, I would have, if I knew I was going to tell the story, I would have shown you um, that said Tanya would have um, done really well in school. It was fourth grade this year. She would have just turned in one of the four required book reports. <laughs> and it's a handwritten, you know, the handwritten ones. Oh, and yeah. we used to make the sleeves from construction paper oh, and yeah. you know, staple them around and we'd put our name on it. I have all of that. My mom, um, obviously, when I tell this story, She's always like, Tanya, because she was a stay-at-home mom. I'm like, mom, where were you? And all of these book reports were new, you know. But we were busy, you know. We were busy with, um, you know, life in a small community and, um, you know, family that had tobacco farms and things like that. And so I just never um, was a reader. So when my backs forward to when I was in my 30s and yeah. they invited me to their book club, I'm like, no. But they're like, oh, we have wine and we have chocolate and I am down for chocolate. And I said, oh my gosh, what time did you say that book club was? I'm not a big drinker. So I wasn't really yeah. enticed by the wine. It was the chocolate. And so, and then it you know, just kind of community, you know, with some yeah. of the younger girls and they would make it um, on the weekends that, you know, my son was gone. So that made it kind of nice. And I never read the book for six months. I did not read the book. <laughs> and so finally one, um, you know, it, it still was, you know, depressing when he was gone. So I found myself one day on a Sunday, I knew he was going to be home in six hours. And I found myself looking at that book. I mean, I had actually physically gone to a Walden bookstore 
and had picked up the book and I, it was a romance and I started reading it. And at the time I didn't know what it was called chiclet. I didn't know what chiclet was, but it was called yeah. chiclet. So to me it was a romance and I guess it was chiclet. So I picked up the book and the next thing you know, my doorbell's ringing and my son's being dropped off. And I had realized Oh my gosh, six hours had gone by and I, I didn't even realize I did not eat. I did not move. I just read this book and yeah. I found like I was escaping and I couldn't wait for my son to go to bed. I was like, I can't wait for him to go to bed. I'm going to read the rest of this book. <laughs> and so then I picked up the whole, every book that that author had written after that. And then I became a an official a carrying card library holder. <laughs> so I went to my local library. I even signed up for a, you know, a card. But years later, um, I was remarried and four children at this time, four boys. And I was still in this book club. And now I'm a therapist. And it was my turn to host the party, the book club. And I had gone to Walden's. And of course, when you host a book club, you got to pick the next book. Right. So I had come home with a stack of books. And my husband is like, what in the world? How much money? We have four mouths to feed here besides R2. You know, how much right. money did you just spend on these hardback books? And I'm like, oh, it's my pleasure, you know. Um, and so he actually physically picked one up and he started reading it. And he said, Tanya, you are a storyteller. You can tell a good story. You could write a book. And you know, I laughed because we all know writing a book and telling a story are two yeah. different things. Um, so then that night, my um, we were I was at my, my book clubs at my house. And so I was telling a story because we were having some riots in Cincinnati, which is about 10 minutes from me in a very dear part of Cincinnati that I loved. And it, you know, it was a shame that what was going on and we hated it. And so I was telling a story about uh, a fond memory that I had there. And it was a funny story and they were laughing, they were in stitches. And um, I, they were like, Oh my gosh, Tanya, you should, you should write a book about that story. And in my little mind, that's all it took was two people within a few hours to just mention that I was a good storyteller. So I woke my husband up at midnight after they left. And I said, um, do you really think I could help one reader escape? Like I escaped. That's all I cared about. Just helping somebody escape in a book if I wrote a story. And he said, yes, go to bed. So the next night, um, two of my kids were playing peewee football and you couldn't leave because they might get hurt. Right. And so I was sitting there. I went back to Walden's and bought this beautiful little notebook and mechanical pencils. I mean, I didn't have a laptop. There were no e-readers. There were no things yeah. like those were all fancy. I had a Blackberry phone. And um, so what happened was that I started writing the first um, novel that actually ended up getting picked up by a publisher right off, but it was not Cozy wow. Mystery. It was a um, chiclet because that's what I was reading. Yeah. And that's how it started. And I never looked back. So, um, what, uh, how did you discover Cozy Mystery? So um, along those lines, I belong to a little like, with everything. Like I researched how to publish a book. I was so yeah. ignorant. I didn't know you had to have an editor or at that time you had to have an agent or a publisher. And so I was um, exchanging manuscripts with other authors. And this one 
author, she said, another writer, she said, are you sure that you don't write mystery because they're hardly hand-holding? I'm like, no, it's chiclet. They don't, they don't do anything. She's like, there's no sex. I'm like, oh, it's chiclet. They don't do anything. She's like, oh, there's a dead body. Right. <laughs> I said, right. oh, well, that's chiclet. You know, she came up on yeah. a dead body. She's screaming. Right. Give me a, yeah. And she said, I think you write cozy mystery. And so she's like, oh, you know, like Agatha Christie, yeah. um, you know, and then she started kind of rattling off TV shows like Columbo. They're kind of more the cozier detective yeah. type things. And I said, oh, maybe I love those shows. I grew up watching those shows, you right. know. And so then the more that I started reading some of the cozier mysteries, I'm like, oh, I can get down with this for sure. You know, yeah. this is definitely along my way of thinking. Um, and I had no interest and still no interest in writing romance. And so, um, you know, that was just something that actually fit really well for me. But it wasn't until about three or four series that I really dialed down into Southern. And that's pretty much what I write now. And that's, um, you know, and although Kentucky is still part of that Southern region, I just call us hillbilly Southern. Like I don't have Southern like you Southern. We have more of a hillbilly dialect. So um, so it's that that I write that I found my group. What's interesting about Kentucky is, and uh, one of my grandfathers is from Kentucky. He's from Sadieville, Kentucky. Good man. North a little on the western side, but kind of that north peak of, of Kentucky. Right. Near and, Lexington. Um and he he always sounded a little different from the rest of us, you know, from my <laughs> my Cajun grandmother who he you know, he joined the railroad after World War II, came down south and never left. Um and then I have a, a friend um who is from Cincinnati and we we call him Cincinnati Dan because you know he's from Cincinnati. Um and he has a very different there's something about that river when it's you cross just that, that river, river and and i'm looking at changes. the river right now um, yes. the river is right in my backyard um yeah well actually i'm from central kentucky okay and i moved up here about 30 um something years ago and i just haven't missed it so a yeah. lot but it's it's around that um middle between um cincinnati and lexington about yeah. Uh, hour in between because it's about an hour and a half this way so you see a difference in the the accents and I get people all the time even from up here if I'm getting gas and going to pay they're like where are you from I'm like oh, about three streets over <laughs> <laughs> so but you know my kids they all grew up here um, but yeah there's something about the the it's it's a strange like as soon as you hit that line at Dry Ridge in Kentucky it's like the accent's gone or something it's it's so funny uh, it, and and the the fact that you write southern flavored stories um i i just love uh because they're um i, I write stories in uh i've created a town called weston mississippi which is just above vicksburg and it's over by the mississippi river and um th- there's uh there's just all this folklore that I've just kind of gathered from all that I can just kind of throw into the story. And, and people have told me that they just, they love going to this little town and they just feel like that there are characters that they could interact with, you know, all over the place. And I think that's one of the best um, things about cozy mysteries, you know, in general and Southern cozy specifically is um, this cast of characters that you kind of get to build and this flavor that you get to inject in it. So when, when you decided to specifically target 
Southern stories. Um, what does that mean to you other than the geography of it? What, what does it mean to represent that region? So um, it, it, it is the cast of characters. And, you know, I do pull from my life. Like there was a 80-year-old moonshiner in the 70s where we would jump in our uh, station wagon. It was growing oh, yeah. mushrooms in the bottom of it uh, and go down the, to the Kentucky River. And um, we would meet her. Her name was Chicken. And that's what her name was. And so when you put somebody a book named Chicken and Moonshining, and and you know how to moonshine. I mean, we have a family still. We use still. Um, And um, when you put those things that people only see like on television shows or hear about and they don't live in the rural parts of the South that they know this goes on. Um, I mean, there's another, um, the names, like there was a guy named Egg, Eggs um, from my hometown. And he was so, he was a junk man and he was not like poor. He just collected junk in his truck. And literally if I was late for school, anybody was late for school. And you said I was behind Eggs Wilhoy, you were excused. Like they're like, oh, that's excuse. Go on. Because people know people, you know, and he was a good man. It wasn't that. It was just that when you hear these stories, you're like, that just sounds so bizarre, especially if you're from, you know, a city or something like that. And so one of my um, when I wrote the Southern Ghostly Mystery Series, it was originally self-published. And then Harper Collins had contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in letting them buy out my series. Um, I, I did a couple a few book deals with them. Um, and luckily I own my series so I can still continue to the right after I didn't take the next deal. Um, they were lovely people. And even the editor, she would call me and she said, oh, my goodness, um, tell me about, you know, chicken and, and egg, the real life stories. And I was telling about it. She was like, please don't tell me that the chicken and the egg knew each other. I go, oh, they totally knew each other. <laughs> but, you know, it's things like that that people don't. Um, you know, she's like, I'm from New York and there's 8 million people here and I have never right. met somebody with the name chicken or egg. <laughs> I'm like, well, there is. I come to Kentucky. But anyways, and so we it's need a better neighborhood. Small, yeah, that's <laughs> right. It, and what I think that gives me is the dialect, you know, the Southernisms. Yeah. I put those in there. And originally editors would say, well, you can't say that. And I'm like, yes, I can. And that's the way it's said. And they're like, well, I'm not familiar with this. I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to be familiar with it. I know it's a saying. And yeah. I know, you know. Um, and America is a there. big place. It is. So when um, people would, um, you know, t- say to me, um, oh, hi, Karen. When people would say, um, is that a real thing? I'm like, yeah, absolutely it is. And now I do a Southern saying. Saturday and posted on social media and people love it. People that follow my camper series, um, I have, they call them Dottieisms. And one time during my live, I actually dressed up like Dottie and she's a cigarette smoking sponge curling hair um and you know we have cigarette smoking in kentucky it's one of our biggest crops i mean as i'm sitting here talking to you there's a barge going down with a lot of coal on it (laughs) so you know you're in kentucky and and you know i just write you know what i know and um there's no you live in the south you absolutely know somebody that smokes cigarettes with foam rollers in their hair (laughs) 
Absolutely. And when you know them, you can write them to a T, right? And you can put their personality in there. And so it's not necessarily the sleuth or the, but you can hide a lot of dead bodies. One of my places is the Daniel Boone National Forest, but you can hide a lot of dead bodies, you know, in a forest, or you can hide a lot of bodies, um, you know, in rural areas. So it's not necessarily that that makes it Southern. It's really my secondary characters and the setting. So no matter matter what happens um like for instance if someone dies or you have a baby or you know something they're gonna there's gonna be a meal train that's gonna be people that you don't like or you do like um and right now if you were to walk in my house i would offer you a cup of coffee and a, a slice of an inman's cake i got in the freezer because i got one always in the freezer in case right. company stops by you know and it's not required to call me just drop in i'd rather you drop in than call me um and you know we those are the kind of characters that you know they're just feel good characters I get people that are from Chicago that love my books because they don't know that in their neighborhood, yeah. um, but they love it. You know, and um, like I say, we're just shooting the breeze. Come on over. And, um, you know, I wanted to put that in and give that that pretty that's a pretty picture of the South when it's yeah. comforting. And even though y'all can have a spat and when times of trouble, you can come together. And I try to put that in all my books and in my communities. And when I started dialing down into really what niche do I actually, I was um, trying to find keywords one time for advertising. And I had put a, um, a, a thing that said in my Facebook group that said, for marketing purposes, what is it that you like about my books? And I mean, there's like over 2000 comments on this, this thread and it's talked about community, family, um, Southernisms, um, the feel good, the setting, because my settings are just as much of a secondary character as the secondary right. characters. And I want them to feel when I write it. I'm, I'm about all the senses when I try to put them in that scene. I want them to see it, feel it, smell it, you know, just see all of it. And um, whether it's in a bathroom or outside in the campground. Right. And so I try to bring them along with just enough of that for them to experience that. Then they have the mystery, you know. Um, but then people are writing, you know, what it meant to them. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, this means so much that they actually took the time to write these papers paragraphs of what my stories meant to them when I'm just looking for keywords, Southern, funny, humorous, advertising. And so now I use those because it still kind of hangs around in my, uh, after, you know, five years now, it's still up there and people still comment it. So every week I make sure that I pick someone that's a reader of the week that just posted such a nice comment um, you know, and, and try to give a shout out to them because it does mean something to me that they took the time to actually physically write something so nice, yeah. um, you know, when I wasn't even going in that direction. What's interesting to me is that uh, reading and writing are very solitary pursuits. I mean, if you read a book, you're, you're by yourself with your nose in the book. When you're writing a lot a lot of the same, you know, kind of, uh, you know, you, you do it alone. Um, community is something that is seems to be very important to you. You have built uh, a community of readers and and communities, this word that we just 
kind of gets thrown around in the age of social media, but but you really have cultivated a community of people that that care about what you do. And, you know, I hear you talking on your, your Facebook lives or your YouTube videos and about sending cards out to people and people sending cards to you. And uh, there's, there seems to be this, this genuine knit together community. Um, when in your author life did the community kind of start coming together and, and you start having this constant dialogue with readers? Since the beginning. So okay. back in 2010, blogs were big things. And I was invited to participate in a blog um, as a guest. And I had gotten, you know, all my family and my friends to respond to this blog. Mm-hmm. And I said, you guys, I'm going to be on this blog. I didn't have a book out. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to be on this blog. And you were building the machine. I was ready. building the machine. And yeah. so I knew enough to start a newsletter like saying to myself, you know, I should probably get these people's emails. And I hadn't even, I was writing that first book. I hadn't even found anybody to publish it or anything like that. And so what happened was that I started, they they were like, well, you know, they were already four published authors. And so they're like, oh my gosh, you had a lot of people come on. Would you, we have a fifth day that we normally just don't even post on. Would you like to join? I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) And so at that point, what I started doing was collecting, um, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm since it's so-and-so's birthday when it was my blog. And I'm like, oh, if you have a birthday, let us know, send us your mailing address and Mm -hmm. I will um, send you a birthday card. And so I filled out, I made this form. And they started filling it out. And so then I started collecting these mailing addresses. I'm like, oh, well, how sad is it that I don't? Would it be once a year? So I started collecting the mailing addresses and writing them in a physical black book. And I still have the book and I still use it. And so I write down everybody's. I have a couple of them now, but I write down everybody's address by hand. And when I go out of town, I will grab, for instance, like next week, I'm going camping um, and so I'll grab one, the, one of the black, black books and then the campgrounds generally all have postcards. And I will first thing I do is I'll go to their little store or to the town and I will grab 10 postcards and I address them and then I'll stamp them and put them in the mail. And g- generally they beat me back home. But every vacation my family ever went on since 2010, um, every it, two weeks ago, I went to Austin, Texas for a, a convention. I picked up 10 postcards at the airport. And I have still done that because um, when I read the author that pulled me out of that depression, mm-hmm. I contacted her and I mean, I like stalked her. And so <laughs> it was so funny because after a couple of years of that, she had messaged me and emailed me and said, I'm going to be in Lexington for an event. Can I stay with you? And I'm like, yeah, but how do you know I'm not a serial killer? And so, um, spoiler alert, not a serial killer. And we became super fast friends. And she has movies and she's amazing. And we're still friends now. And um, when she was with me, she made me feel seen and heard. And she's huge. She's a huge author. And so, um, I said to myself, if I ever get published, just that one reader. I just want that one reader to feel seen and heard. And so the postcards, they started out with one birthday card a year. But then um, 
Facebook came along and it was easy to communicate that way with people. And then I started getting fan mail and then things in the mail. Like, for instance, I had a pink poodle in one of my books. So anything pink, people started sending me. It was a pink poodle. Um, and you know, various things just started happening. Of course, I always comment back to people. I always send, um, you know, uh, a thank you note and, you know, even like fast forward to today, you know, with today's age, it's so much easier to communicate with readers and I just want them to feel special. I just want them to feel heard and that they're seen, even if they send me a terrible email, you know, I always make yeah. sure that I address that as well because everybody, you know, has, you know, everybody wants to be seen. And I appreciate that because now years later, I'm no longer a therapist, which I loved. I loved that job. But it has afforded me to not only quit my job, but also employ three women at home, as well as my husband recently retired from his job to come work for us. And so it is. It, it, and I like I said, I have four grown children. We built a life around this business and I'm so grateful to it. And so my community is them, you know, one reader, one just the one reader. And I was at an event years ago and one reader had messaged me how my books had gotten her through her mom's open heart surgery. This is one of the very first readers with when I was writing the chiclet. <laughs> and so years later I had showed, I was given a, a talk and years later I had showed her email up on the screen. And wouldn't you know that her and her mom were both in the audience. I mean, it was amazing to wow. realize I didn't know. I mean, I was like, Oh my goodness. You know, they're both in the audience. And every time I tell the story, the, the full story, you know, it just brings tears to my eyes that I could actually help one person, you know. So right. then it started to I started, well, what about if I meet them in person? So that's how my mystery train event that comes along every year happened. Um, I said, you know, people would say, when are you going to come here? When are you going to come here? And I can't be in all these places. You know, at the time, my kids were in high school at this point. This was nine years ago. And I said, oh, well, I'll just do an event to where I come to central location. It's different each year. And um, I said, what about we do a mystery train? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And I did not bring books the first year. I rented a train. I had a mystery theater come on board. We had lunch. And that was it. And the readers were like, I only kept it to 100. And they're like, well, where's the books? And I'm like, what books? They're like, books to, that we can buy. And I'm like, well, this isn't for that. This is just for us to be, be with each other, be in community, right? Right. And so um, they're like, well, the next year, do you think you can bring books? I'm like, oh, do we want to do this again next year? And so it just turned into this thing. And now it's an entire weekend. And wow. we host it somewhere different you know, every year in October. And it's now we go to the town and it's a, a two or three day event where we visit something in the town, a ghost, uh, you know, a ghost walk, a walk or something. It's still a mystery train with food. And we've been to Niagara Falls. We've been to, I mean, all the way to St. Louis. I mean, it's everywhere. Right. And so it's just kind of turned into that. So when the pandemic happened, I'm like, well, my goodness, um, people are like, well, how am I going to get my book?
books, you know, and I'm like, well, what about online book signing? So I, that's when I came up with the online book signing. And so it was me sitting in my camper because I really write in my camper every yeah. day um, and, and also travel in it. But, um, you know, I just thought, OK, well, if you really want a book, then just you can order one from me and I'll sign it online. And it turned into this yearly online book signing. And then also I did I started um, reading one of my books at night called Bedtime Stories with Tanya because we like to interact and get to know each other. Yeah. Well, then Patreon came along. Well, boy, did that change everything. Right. And so I thought, oh, well, let's do Patreon. So um, we have a whole community over there and our monies go towards a charity each month. And so there is a fee that Patreon takes, but it was just another way to have community. And we do a monthly Zoom meeting and we've become such good friends that they all care about each other. So one of my um, Patreons, she's bedridden and recently she's had to go to audiobooks. And so instantly um, all the people on the Zoom are like, what's your mailing address? What's your email address? And literally they all were buying her and sending her um, codes for audiobooks. And these people, I have, they're in Germany and New Zealand. I mean, they're all over the world. They're not just the United States. So it's more of a community that's no longer Tanya Kappas is what it's become. And um, I love that. And I love that. For instance, this year, a couple of new trained people are coming and they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't I want to come, but I can't I can't find somebody to come with me. And I'm like, she's like, I don't want to be alone. I go alone. You're not going to be alone. You're in our Facebook group. You're in Patreon and all these people come alone. But then they get there and they're like, oh, you know, and they're with community that they built. Right. You know, I was just the vessel. And then they the next year they come and they're like, oh, we're going to stay in the room together or we're all going to come. And, you know, they're all excited because it's kind of like a girl's trip. And yeah. so um, it's just how I wanted to be treated. And that's how I treat. And you can't make everybody happy, you know, yeah. and but I try my hardest to. Um, and, you know, I'm just, you know, a normal I, I, got to, I love to tell the people, I go to Weight Watchers still. I, I've been going for 14 years. And the other day I went and this lady looked at me. And she goes, do I know you from somewhere? And I'm like, no, Weight Watchers have been coming here for 14 years. <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, I'm new. And I'm like, okay. So the leader's talking. And all of a sudden the lady goes, oh, my gosh, I think you're a writer. Are you an author? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she's like, she goes, oh, I just pulled up. And she had her um, phone. And she goes, I That's read your so books. Funny. And you're at Weight Watchers. And I go, honey, I eat just as much as you do. Right. Yeah. And so um, I think when you're, and, you know, my books aren't some, you know, literature, award-winning prize, you know, something that's going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, I don't expect that. Um, and what's the old Mark Twain you saying? Have readers. Yes. That, and, but that relate. And yes. that's what they'll say. You're down to earth. You're just like us. And, you know, it could be the worst book in the world, but they know that in my heart, I tried to write the best book I could. So right. it's kind of like that saying, Mark Twain, some people like fine wine, but everybody has to have water, you know? So right. I'm like the water, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, right. um, you know, that's just how I, how I run my business. Yeah. And a lot of people, um, don't, um, 
can't do that. They always like, well, I'm an introvert. You're kind of an extrovert. And it's not, you know, you can build community like, you know, in different ways and you don't have to do the lives or anything like that. And a lot of my readers are introverted. So when we do do the Zoom calls, they're not on there. That's just, you know, their little picture or just a blank picture, uh, but they're still able to participate, you know, however they want to do. So I knew from the beginning um, in 2010 that that's exactly what I wanted to build, whether if it was one reader or 10 readers or 200 readers, right. You know, that's what I wanted to build for me. Well, in, in 2010, when you got started, um, that was just on the cusp of the Kindle revolution. I, I'm trying to remember if the Kindle was, was released yet. I knew you said that, yeah. you, that you guys had a Sony e-reader, um, but not long after that, the Kindle debuted. I think it was 2012, then, maybe. I think, I think that's about right. And and yeah. then Amazon had the uh, the brilliant idea that, you know, if we have this device, we really ought to empower people to publish for it. Then we sell more devices. Yes. I, I think it was really as a – I think their first idea was to sell more Kindles. And obviously, that enabled them to sell more Kindles. Right. But it really became bigger than the Kindle in, in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, but what, what I find interesting is I'm like you. Um, I've always liked cozy mysteries. Um, I didn't always know they were called that um, <laughs> kind of like you, you know, that there were certain TV shows that we watched when I was growing up. Uh, my mom was a, a faithful watcher of murder she wrote and i used to get aggravated with her and i was but there's always got to be a dead body every you know episode and and then i would find myself watching it you know and you know anyway that's a that's a whole yeah Um, i'm with you but but a few years ago um my friend dan kenny who also publishes cozy mysteries as daniel carson yes um, i love him he's so nice he, we became friends years ago and um uh, he started talking about this hope walker series that he was writing and and i kept thinking man i just that sounds so like so much fun because i i love a good thriller and and I like psychological suspense and stuff like that, but I don't want to read it every day, you know, and, um, but a good cozy, I could, I could get into and, you know, you know, sue me. That's what I like. Um, (laughs) But, but what I, what I find interesting is with the rise of the Kindle and the Kindle publishing revolution, it seems to have allowed certain genres to kind of have a heyday and it seems like cozy mystery is one of those that um that has really been empowered by the kindle kdp you know self-publishing whatever you want to call it you know there this has allowed a lot of people to publish in that space and a lot more stories to come out we all love agatha christie but those were written 100 years ago um Mm -hmm. you know and and lots of other cozy ish type series over the years but it seems like there has been an explosion over the last decade um do you notice that as well or am i just reading no yeah so um with me um my kindle was not available when i first started because obviously if you know anything about me that first book that got picked up also went south and didn't get picked up (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, that's what my husband was like. Oh, I bet I could figure this format matting stuff out and get it up on this Sony e-reader. And he just w- was great. I mean, he was a he's an electrician, so he was able to figure out the software. And he's not a reader, and so he was able to figure out you know how to do this. And so I found myself at the cusp of other traditional authors that really shunned me. You know, they're like, oh, that's not really, you know, um, publishing. That's called vanity publishing at the time. And I'm like, okay, but little did they know that I was already making money and they weren't, you know. And again, it wasn't about the money, but I was like shocked. I'm like, wow, if I keep this up, I might be able to be a part-time therapist (laughs) and write part-time, you know, because I really started liking the hobby of writing at that time. Um, And so... Um, you know, years when a couple of years into it, when the Kindle came along, I didn't even own a Kindle when when we published first on Kindle. And so it was interesting because there were some other leading industry people like, um, you know, these newsletter builders that were seeing this. And I was kind of with these people in the beginning. And one of them had emailed me and said, you know, my wife loved your book. I think I can help you sell a couple copies. And I'm like, okay, great. And so at that time I had um, started, it was called WG2E. It was a um, writing for um, self-publishers because it also um, RWA, which was a big romance group was paying me to go around and teach um, self-publishing to their groups wow. and and I just call it what it is self-publishing some people like to call it indie publishing yeah. it's just self-publishing I sell it myself or I could just call Tanya Kappa's books publishing because that's my right. publishing company um so anyways um so you know all of a sudden um you know you can look at this thing in real time you know when your books are being mm-hmm. sold you know so it was funny I'm like so I say oh I bought your book and I'm like when oh just a little bit ago I'd look on there like mm-hmm, no you didn't <laughs> <laughs> I can see what you tell me you say, yeah. But anyways, it's so, uh, but back, that was back in the day, you know, now it's a little bit harder to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, anyways, but when I was looking at this guy, after this guy's email came, I mean, I started selling like 5,000 copies and it would ease up to like 6,000. And then I um, messaged him after, because I was at one of my kids' baseball games and I left the baseball game because I thought we broke Amazon. And um he I emailed him and he was the um, person who started e-reader news. And he said, I started this new little newsletter that's going to capture these new self-published authors. You know, would you please get help me spread the word? Well, I spread the word as much as I could and I put it in right. everything and sign up for this newsletter. And he would always, he and his wife would always, you know, give me the pat on the back, put me in one of the newsletters. So, you know, that really kind of jump started that part of the cozy for me. And so then I noticed Amazon started doing the rankings and then I became like a mover and shaker, which that was important at the time. And I'm like, oh, I'm an Amazon mover and shaker. And so I started getting into those other cozy streams. And then I think about 2016 is when I saw um, people really jumping on um, the self-publishing and then it wasn't as tainted as it was before that and the genre grew so about 2016 is when i started seeing more cozies 
grow and grow and grow. So about 2017, I thought, I've got to do something that's going to stick out. That's when the Southern part came. And then in 2018, I'm like, well, everybody's doing baking. Everybody's doing sewing. Everybody's doing whatever. I need something that's completely different, but still Southern and still in that cozy genre. And that's when I came up with the Laundry Club Ladies. And because we all have we all have laundromats in our little towns. And right. so um, but it, it was in a trailer park. It was never in a campground and it was never what it became because it, it's kind of taken on a life of its own at this point. But it was never that in the beginning. It was that was just the birth of it. It wasn't until my cover artist was having a cover artist sale in 2018 um, that she does an auction and they go up, she makes like a hundred and some of the covers. Then like she puts them up on her site and whoever gets them, gets them first. So I saw these first three covers and I thought, and they were like, it was like $500 for three covers. And I, which was at the time, you know, you thought, Oh my gosh, that's high, but really it's so cheap. And I said, um, those are my covers and that it's going to be a campground. I love camping. I grew up yeah. camping. Oh my gosh, how funny would it be to have a camping sleuth? Right. And so, <coughs> excuse me. So I bought the covers and, you know, there you go. <coughs> now I'm going to cough. It's, <coughs> I know it's contagious. Um, the Camper and Criminals series is so much fun. Um, and it is so on the nose. Some of the, some of the humor is... You know, it, it's, you know, I, I don't even have words, um, but it doesn't necessarily follow the cozy mystery formula. And, um, you know, some of your other series are more kind yes. of, you know, by the book cozy yes. mysteries. Um, what, what was the, what was the, was that, was that intentional to kind of break those rules, stretch it a little bit or, is that just kind of how the stories came out? Well, at, at first it was the structure and, but that is just not how she was going to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't believe in writer's block. I think that when you're stuck, it's yeah. because the story you're trying to force a story to go some way. And so I spent a lot of time hiking, a lot of time, you know, walking, driving, um, thinking, talking to her in my head And she just, um, she was just a little too sassy. And I'm like, okay. And I'm not like that at all. I'm a rule follower. Talk about May. I'm a rule follower. And I'm like, "Mm, I would never have snuck out of my bedroom window at 18 years old. Uh, (laughs) And so, uh, you know, she, um, nor would I have jumped in a camper and gone through traveled to Kentucky to see this campground. And by myself. Now, I might with a few friends, but not by myself. Um, but anyways, um, and so the it just kind of played out the way it played out. And the late the, the laundry ladies are older, you know, um, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to have some younger girls in there as well. So each yeah. one of them is a different you know, generation. And each one of them brings different knowledge to the table. So it wasn't the, because I'm like, well, just like you were saying earlier, there's so much history around your town. So I try to bring all of that in there as well, like the different things in the Daniel Boo Forest. And there are a lot of the history that's in there that is true. 
Um, also the camping things, you know, I do make sure that I do some camping hacks. Um, also, you know, some different recipes that I have gotten from other campers, right? But that that series in particular, especially the new book that's coming out this month in that series, does not even have any of the traditional genre, you know, points. Like there is no three or four suspects. I mean, there is a dead body and there is this crazy bounty hunter and, you know, they are trying to collect all these clues. So it's really a different um, than, than, you know, my other series. And I think that that is what kind of happened during the pandemic and it was different. So when the pandemic happened, a lot of the young 20, 30 year olds were moving in with their parents or all they could do was be with their parents because that was their bubble. Right. And so I noticed that my 60 year olds, 40, 50s and 60 year olds and I started sharing books with their younger people and the younger ones are sharing books with their older family members. Mm-hmm. And I've got a crop of 20 and 30 years, 30 year old women <laughs> that have about, you know, gone crazy for the series so much so that they have influencers now that I never knew what influencers were. Right. And so now we have a whole thing of influencers, um, that we work with and, um, you know, bloggers and podcasters. And a lot of those were like, oh my gosh, it's like Shit's Creek in a campground. And I'm like, you're right. I never thought about that, you know? And so um, I think it just hit um, at the right time and it hit what people needed. It wasn't quite the cozy murder she wrote like you were talking about. It just had a little bit more of an edge on it. So, and that hit. But then they also have started reading all the other cozy, you know, where you're going to get like four, three or four suspects, a couple of dead bodies and interviewing them all and those kind of fun things, which is a lot of fun to go back to after I've written a few camper things. I'm like, Whoa, now I can go back to a structure. And so, um, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm writing in my killer coffee series and it's very comfortable and easy. (laughs) Yeah. I love that series too. Um, thank you. Speaking of having multiple series, um, you have several active series that, that you, you may not be publishing every month in them, but they're not closed out. You will come back to them. Um, does having multiple series, does that give you, the freedom to to let your brain rest o- over here and allow your subconscious to work on new ideas while you you know work on the more structured you know the the coffee house series and like that does having multiple gears you can shift to d- does that help your creative process yes it does so you know i have some paranormal cozy mysteries and and they're also really fun and they're all set in kentucky which is easy right for yeah. me but um except for the holiday cozy mystery series that's that's in no state and people go crazy they're like what state is that in i'm like um the state of your head <laughs> wherever you want that to be um and and so anyways, so for me, um, I do alternate my writing. Um, it might look like I have like, and I'm a far ahead in my process. I have a few yeah. months. It's in the key. It um, And I write every morning and maybe for like three hours and that's about it. And then um, in the afternoon, I might write on a second project. 
which my Patreon get that second part project before everybody else. Um, but it's a palate cleanser. I can, um, like if I, if I'm done writing a camper book, I'm like, okay, I need to get out of that series for a little bit. Then I write in like another book that's going to publish after that. Um, and the thing that happened, and it doesn't, um, so I haven't written a Kenny Lowry book in like six months, but there's one coming out. So I have my book Bible, which is really an address book. And all, I keep all my characters in a, an old, like an old phone address book, like we had when we were kids. Now they're, I mean, I don't know if they make them anymore, but um, so it's an address book. And instead of address and phone number, I write, you know, um, a Hank, I go to the H, I open up Hank, and then I write down, you know, everything about Hank in that book. Yeah. So once I get that, that out, I'm like, oh, yay, I'm back in Hank's book. And then I'm looking, I, you know, know exactly where I left off and all those characters just come right back into my head. But while I'm writing that book, say the Kenny Larry series, and I know that down the road I'm going to be writing in, um, uh, let's see, the Killer Coffee series. You know, Roxanne Bloom is already back here saying, don't forget about me. Right. You know, this is what I think might happen. Or I might get an idea or hear something and Roxanne say, that's mine, you know, or May might say, that's mine. And so I will pop open my phone and type it in so I don't forget, you know, in the notes section. But they're always there somewhere. But it is, but I'm, I can shut them off as I'm writing the other books. Um, and it is a relief to leave that after you, you know, after you write a book and you've spent so much time in it, you know, you're kind of like, ah, oh. when you put it away, you're like, ah, oh, you know, and then when you come to another series, it's kind of refreshing. You're like, oh, excited again to write that book. So when people say, oh, what's your favorite series? I'm like the one I'm writing in right now. <laughs> I love it. Well, Something uh, more writer centric. Did I hear you say one time that you are a pantser? So I am sort of. So I was okay. all the way until um, I, I don't know, maybe four years ago or something. Okay. I started, I will write like the first, I always know who the killer is and who the suspect is and why. Okay. So, and you know, with all mysteries, you write backwards, really, you know, with all that yeah. stuff, but you kind of have to write forward. Right. So, um, I always know that. So I always let the characters drive that. I have never planned clues. I have never planned where the red herrings would go or anything like that. There's just something in my subconscious that plants those. But once I get to chapter 10, which is pretty much about my midpoint, mm -hmm. um, I can, I'll say, oh, okay. So we've had the murder. We've had some clues. I'm like, oh, this is where it needs to go now. So then I loosely plot out maybe a sentence or two. I'll make in my, I just write in a Word document. I don't do fancy software, nothing like that. So I'll just write chapter 10. Then I'll go, I'll, you know, page break, chapter 11, page break. And I'll just write a sentence at what needs to go there and where the clues that I had just somehow subconsciously made um, where they need to fall in place again um, in the document in the last 10 chapters. Cause I write about 20 chapters per book. So um, that's about as detailed as I give myself. 
I was uh, I heard you say that, and I have some friends that are hardcore planners, and I'm I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I, I like you. I I kind of know where things are going to end up. I don't really know how we're going to get there yet. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. some of the excitement of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, some some friends of mine are are like, you know, we you cannot maintain a serious production schedule if you don't have some sort of plan, and and that's that's true for a lot of people, except for the people that it's not. Um, yeah. You know, so uh, do, do you ever? I, I know you said earlier your thoughts on writer's block, but do you ever just find yourself going, "I just, I don't know what happens next." Does that ever happen to you? So, um, again, like when that does, ha- it does happen, you know, yeah. but what I do is I can go back and re cause I let myself go back and reread. Um, and, and I don't edit as I write, I write completely the first draft and never go back. If I can't think of something, I put an asterisk and keep going. Cause I know I'm going to come back to that, but, um, somewhere along the line, it's gone wrong for me. And so I will go back and reread, you know, those, those, whatever I had written. And generally it clicks. Oh yeah, that needs to happen. Or if I'm writing and something clicks that needs to happen later on in the book, I will make a note in the comments. And um, so I know that that needs to come somewhere later in the book, but definitely I think for me, if I plot out, and generally by the 10th chapter, I know all the suspects, right? And, but for me, I love the surprise of element that they, all of a sudden these characters, I know it sounds crazy, but you get it. You know, the characters yeah. in your head and they come up with something, some of the funniest stuff or some of the craziest things that ties to a clue that you're like, I could not have plotted that. I could not have plotted that if you'd have given me a million dollars, <laughs> you know? And so that's what I love is I leave it open for that element of, um, you know, surprise. Gotcha. So that's, but I also, you know, like I said, um, generally know who did it, why, who the victim is. And then um, when I get to that 10th, I know that I've got to have these other things in there or I could just keep going and it would never end. Um, so that's pretty much why I plot or plants, plants it or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. A planster. <laughs> a planster. See, I, I love that. Um, <laughs> you publish about a book a month. Is, mm-hmm. is that pretty consistent? Your, your mm-hmm. schedule? I do. Um, y- your manuscripts are clean. Uh, you know, you don't see, I, I you know, I, I've read a, a number of them on my Kindle and they're just, <laughs> There, there are no typos. Um, I, you know, everybody has sometimes there are, but they're, but they're very. <laughs> clean. I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah, you have, you have. Uh, I have a system. A system. Yeah, that is working for you. Yes. What? How do you maintain such a ambitious publishing schedule and, you know, get your manuscript so tight and clean? Again, I live in the middle of. 200 acres here <laughs> and overlooking the river on the, in the big hills here of uh, Kentucky. And I'm an empty nester. You know, my kids are all gone. Um, but, you know, I have nothing else to do with my time. You know, what else would I do? I do make time for my friends. I mean, I guess in the morning I could just sit here and, you know, 
There's only so much I can clean. There's only so much, you know, and some of my friends, they work, so they're not available during the day. So I treat it like a job and um, I run it like a business. So every morning I get up and I have my coffee, I exercise and I get a shower and get dressed exactly like I did when I was a therapist. I always maintain that schedule. And, you know, as a mother of four boys who are very active and they're all close in age and they're 30 to 24 um, and the twins are in the middle, um, there was always something going on. So I always had to juggle them um, after work. And so there was just a, that schedule. And when they left, you know, we, I, there was, what am I going to do with I don't want to just lay around all day, you know. So I continued that schedule. So I do writing sprints with a girl that's on YouTube that's not live. She knows I do writing sprints with her because I'm like, thank you so much. And I always comment to her and she'll say the next day when she's live because she's like in England or something. And she'll say, and I just want to say hello to our future friend, Tanya, who will be on here later. <laughs> and so she sprints okay. for like two and a half hours and so I will do writing sprints with her. And again, I know what I'm writing for that day. So I usually get in anywhere from um, 3,500 to 5,000 words in a day. And after I'm done with her, it's like lunch. So I'll eat lunch. And then after lunch, I do the business side of things. Like you said, hey, can, you know, can we chat? You know, Wednesday, I'm like, absolutely. Um, so I do business stuff in the afternoon and uh, mailings or anything I've got to get out or even scheduling things. Um, but when you, so when I sold to HarperCollins, they only wanted 50,000 words. And that's what my books ran were 50,000 words, right? Um, and then when I was with Random House, they wanted 80,000 words. Well, to me, that's 20, at least 20,000 words of fluff that you put in a cozy mystery and I'm not good with fluff. And so all of my books range from 50 to 60,000 words. And if you can do 3000 words in a day, you know, you're got, you've got a novel in a month, right? Right. So then I have, um, a, um, editing service that I use and she puts, um, so when I, I've always used the service when I first um, found her and then the books just started coming more frequent and I would have to wait in the key. And finally she's like, just send me your book every month to this. If you're going to do a book a month, just send it to my address to this other address. So I send it to her. She puts three editors on it. Um, and then I get that back. And then I have an arc team of a hundred. <laughs> and so my um, arc um, admin, she gets it out to the arc team. And then I send the copy edits back to the editor and she puts two different more people on it for a second round of edits. And then while they're, she's doing the edits with her other two people, my art team's finding edits that they're, they're finding. <laughs> so then, um, excuse me. So not only do I have the professional person, but I also have the ARC team. It's eyes on it, 100 people. So I get 100 emails from people. Oh, I found this, this, and this. But by that time, I've already gotten the second round from the editor because it's take about it takes about two weeks for that turnaround. 
And by the time I'm getting theirs, they she's already found the things that they found. But I'm still cross-checking to make sure. And then it goes through one more final edit with the editor. And I'm like, that's good. So I get the editing package of three rounds of edit with that professional. And then I get one with my ARC team. Um, and so it's a really fine oil. Like that's one of the three people that I employ outside of my husband. That's her job. And so I don't touch the ARC team. I don't, you know, do anything with, with that. She does it all. Um, and then the lady that was on here earlier, Karen, she is my head uh, <clears throat> PA and she um, runs like all the graphics for that ARC team. She runs my cozy crew. So she's doing the graphics for all those graphics for me. Um, and so the ARC team, they have tasks that they have to do, like they have to promote the book. They have to do these various tasks. And then once they put their, um, they read the book before it comes out and then they put their review on Goodreads and we take their review, whether it's good or bad, and we make memes out of those and give it to them. So it's a machine that uh, before it was me and my PA um, that did it. And then once it got so much bigger than I could handle, that's when I hired um, out to another PA. Um, and so, uh, or VA. And so um, I keep calling them PA. Uh, but anyways, um, personal assistant, really, she's virtual. But so anyway, so um, that is the production schedule and it works well for me. But I also have to be, for me to be comfortable with doing monthly, I have to be at least three books ahead of schedule. Um, because I can't, um, like I would be a nervous Nelly if it wasn't that way. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but eventually, you know, people are like, oh, you know, are you doing it for, you know, the money? Are you doing it for this? I'm like, no, I'm doing it because I have nothing else to do. <laughs> and I just have all these ideas. Now, I still see my friends at night or I still, you know, um, see family and my kids, so a couple of my kids come over every Sunday for supper and, you know, things like that. So it's not like I don't have a life. It's just, you know, when you can write, so much and I pretty much do write clean yeah. um, so I don't have to, like I'll go over it and maybe add some meat to the bones of the first draft but generally that's about a first draft and then a once over and that's about it um, wow. and so um, and I do believe that the more you write the more your craft gets honed you know and I do yeah. think that the more natural it comes to you um, so that is the process of how I publish. I yeah. And I can do it when I want because I self-publish. Right. So, exactly. And that's the one thing I could not stand about traditional publishing was it took like 18 months for it to come out. And yeah. I've been, I don't even remember what that book was about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, so. we could have an entire conversation on. <laughs> yes, we could. Yeah. The, the inequities and ineptitudes of, of the publishing industry. Yeah. Uh, your latest release is Chocolate Bunny Betrayal, um, yes. a holiday themed release, uh, obviously. Um, if if uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes to uh, help folks find um, your your books. If, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, is there a central location that's an easy place? For folks to go to, is it your website? Is oh, that yeah. where you'd just like to direct people to? com. You know, it's just, um, it's uh, my website. You can find all the books there. I sometimes will update, um, 
the little blog section there. But if you really want to get to know me or come hang out with me for free, you can do that, you know, at Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Um, and, or you can always join our Patreon, which is, um, you know, super in touch. But, you know, I'm pretty much available everywhere. <laughs> Excellent. We'll link up all those places. Um, and uh, Chocolate Bunny Betrayal, your latest release, your next release coming up is? It is Hearsay Handguns, and, or Hammocks, Handguns, and Hearsay, which I think is book 32 in the Camper and Criminal series. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of fun. I love, so, it. I love it. Well, it'd yeah. be nice to go back to uh, to normal Kentucky for a little bit for a book. Yes. So looking forward to that. Tanya, I could, I could pick your brain for six more hours, but you know, <laughs> we've got to wrap this thing up. Uh, people have lives to get back to. Uh, um, no, no, no. I got to go work. You're right. It's beautiful sunshine out in my hammock. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here and you're just so lovely. And um, I'm glad we have a friend in common, Daniel. Absolutely. I said hello. I sure will. Thank you. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging, your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.